Welcome to another episode of Giant Cocktails, episode five. Episode five, that's like we're old timers now. We're veterans. We're, we're veterans. But, but who are we? Who are we? I am Ben Henry here with my co-host and brother, Matthew Henry, on the show Giant Cocktails, where we talk about our favorite baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, while drinking homemade cocktails. It is Sunday, February... February nothing, because it's Not April. February. <laughs> it's April. One of these days. One I of these told. days I'm going to get through the intro <laughs> smoothly. All I have to do is get us to the point where I say, what are you drinking? And without making a mistake. And, it seems so easy. And that's going to be the last, that's going to be, that we're going to end the podcast there. That's going to be it. That's the finale. <laughs> Uh, which is fine because at this rate it means we're never gonna have we're never gonna be able to stop. We're, this is, we're gonna do this for the rest of eternity until I get that done. But well, anyway, uh, my this, it is April fourth, Sunday, April fourth, as we record this episode. It is day four of the Major League Baseball season. The Giants have played only three games because they had a very unusual off Sunday off day, and you know, that's just because it's the beginning of the season. And yeah, we're just starting to settle into the season. Uh, but before we jump into the season and, and react to the first series, uh, we should we should talk about our cocktails. Uh, let's see. I think I think I went. No, I think you went first last time. Think so so, uh, so I'm going to go first this time. All right. Ben, what are you drinking? Well, thank you for asking, Matthew. I am drinking a, a one of my favorite cocktails. This is a another gin cocktail, and, and I know I had a gin cocktail last week. Uh, I like gin, and this is you know last week was the the French seventy five, the celebratory French seventy five. This week I just wanted to go with a favorite, something that that I enjoy and just wanted to, to make for the fun of it. And this is a Fitzgerald is what it's called. It, I got it out of a book called the, the 12 Bottle Bar, which is a book I enjoy so much that I am going to mention it by name. It is the book that really, really got me into serious cocktail at making at home. And I don't, I don't remember exactly the history behind this drink, but I believe uh, it is not a classic. It's a newer, it's a newer drink. It's very simple though. It is gin plus uh, lemon juice plus simple syrup with a couple of dashes of bitters. I prefer Angostura in this particular cocktail. It creates a very refreshing and pretty uh, pink cocktail that I like to serve in a coupe. So up. And it's very flowery, floral, sweet, but not overly sweet. Just a nice balance. It's a great summer cocktail, and it is my absolute favorite. It's really easy to make. Uh, and it's it's kind of even. It's not like a French 75, so we're not going to have another incident like we had last week. Uh, or we get totally... Uh... Totally optimistic off your and optimistic yeah, yeah. And, and make ridiculous predictions like uh, brandon webb having to hit win as many games as buster posies is going to hit home runs because i think that's yeah, going to be impossible this season home run, 140 yeah. wins 140 yeah. home runs 140 wins yeah uh, i you know so you know i guess I, I well that's that's we're getting ahead of ourselves there though uh, so that's my cocktail that's what i'm drinking matthew what are you drinking well you know 
as you and I know, the, the, the listeners probably don't know, is that uh, I'm I'm an amateur mixologist. You know, I, uh, I I enjoy going to the bar and asking somebody to make me a cocktail, but I have not been as deep into the mixology as you have. And but this podcast is kind of changing that, and I feel like you know, especially after your bloody colon, I felt like I should up my game a little bit in terms of uh, cocktails. And so so I, I did a little research. Uh, first of all, I had no idea how to make a cocktail. Thank goodness for Google. You know, it talked about the liqueurs and the, you know, the acid and the, the syrup and the sweeteners. And you know, so there's you know, lots of ways that you can concoct a, a cocktail. So through that, I concocted, and I'm, I'm still kind of iffy on the name. Um, I think it's, it's like, I'm calling it the rosemary pop. And the reason is, is that uh, this cocktail, the sweetener that I use is actually a melted grape popsicle. And so I have, so this particular uh, cocktail has uh, Grand Marnier and lemon juice and melted grape popsicle uh, to form a syrup. And, and then I muddled uh, some rosemary in with the, some, with the syrup uh, before I shook it all together. And, and then I garnished it with some lemon and rosemary sprig and I'm actually enjoying it. I actually made it right before our podcast. So I didn't do a whole lot of trial and error. I think uh, when I published the recipe, uh, I might play around with the balance between the popsicle and the lemon juice because uh, I think I made it a little too sweet the first time around but I, I like the flavors and as the ice is kind of mellowing the drink a little bit I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit so I'm going to call it a win wow that's you know if you serve that with rum and uh, threw in the popsicle stick you could almost call that a swizzle that is, it's very, you know, it, it sounds like a, a, a cocktail that you would get at, uh, you know, like a TGI Fridays or a, um, Gee, you thanks. know, yeah, a, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, not I mean, a high-end bar in New York. Not, not a high-end bar in New York. Um, although, actually, you know what? They would probably serve it to you with the popsicle still intact. Or no, that what you would get is the cocktail is actually inside a capsule of ice that is shaped like a popsicle stick, you know, and then they would just put that into like a highball glass and uh, and they would do the same thing that you do, but they would charge you, you know, $27 for it. And no, actually, that sounds really fun. That uh, I, I like that one a lot. Uh, for the listeners who heard my brother refer to my bloody colon, uh, I'm not going to clarify that for you. So I'm just going to let that um, sit in your mind. And uh, I, I will say that if you really want to figure it out, uh, you can go back through previous episodes. And, and I believe it would be pretty easy to figure it out. And you can just go investigate deeper into that if you want. Uh, but I will say, sometimes a bloody colon is exactly what you want and exactly what you need. And with that, maybe oh we should move on to baseball. Let's talk about baseball. <laughs> Let's talk about baseball. Okay, it, we are uh, on Sunday. And, and I got to tell you, Matthew, 
after watching the opening series against the Seattle Mariners, I got to tell you, this, this, this prognostication thing about baseball, it's easy. Like, I think, I think we, 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 for better or for worse, uh, nailed it. Uh, we, we got every prediction almost 100% accurate. Um, in the first game. Yeah. In the first game. I, I you know, yeah. We, we said that this team was going to hit. They were going to hit a lot. They were going to score a lot of runs. We said that the rotation is a big question mark, except for at the very top. Uh, where they're quite strong, and boy, was Gossman lights out. What an excellent outing he had. Uh, we talked about how Longoria was rebounding and was likely to start in the starting lineup, and and boy, he came out white hot. I gave a very passionate homage to Buster Posey begging him for one more great season and he came out and rewarded me with a home run in his first at bat in over a year and everything was just going so great until it wasn't what Matthew what what happened what happened well okay first of all I was like kid in a candy store i was sitting on the edge of my seat i'm giggling i'm like oh my god the giants are amazing uh hitting for power gausman's an ace there's i was just beside myself with glee uh, on how well we were playing and in my mind i was like 85 wins ha 90 yeah i was <laughs> i was riding high until yeah. Matt Whistler came into the game and uh, and couldn't buy an out. And, you know, not like, I mean, he's not a bad pitcher. Uh, he's been a very no. effective major league reliever. And uh, so in one vein, you have to say that this was a major fluke, right? But boy, was it the wrong time to, to uh, lay an egg. And it just it just didn't end you know he you know his walks and he can't find the strike zone and you know and then and then we had you know harleen garcia and rogers and all of them just you know not being able to buy a strike and it just seemed to compound one after another and it was a painful inning to watch and i just i just knew that uh, this was not going to end well. And then, you know, I think one of the other things that we mentioned in previously was that our defense was suspect. And then you have you have Belt throwing away a, you know, a, a, a for sure double play or at least the lead out. Uh, and, you know, that along the inning and just made things worse. And it's it was it was so painful that I, I want to forget it, you know, already. But it was uh, yeah, it I don't. I can't even explain it. it, and I don't think you can explain it because I think that it was such a fluke. Uh, you know, these. I think you know, Pakoda or one of those other projection systems said they had like a ninety-eight point five percent chance of winning that game in the eighth inning. Uh, so for them not to win it was just uh, you know once in a uh, once in a lifetime type thing is I just it's uh, so I'm going with that I'm going to be like you know what that was their one you know they had several of those last year where the bullpen just imploded and I'm like well this year this was their 
uh, this was their one, and they can't afford too many more of those, uh, particularly against teams they should be beating. Right. And, uh, so that's and and I think it, it compounds it knowing that we have the Padres coming up, and and I know it's only the first game of the season, but yeah, it's uh, and it means nothing in 162. But uh, but what if it does? I mean, what if you know we miss out on a, a wild card spot by one game? You know, this game will will hurt. So that's. You know, I wish I could explain what happened other than the fact that they just couldn't throw strikes. And I, but I don't know. What was your take on that? I think, well, it was a gut punch. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was, it, I felt the same way you did. I was, I was really excited, you know, and I thought this is what the Giants look like when everything's going right. And, and this is them at their best. And, and it's, and it felt, you know, I was telling myself, well, at least, you know, at least we know what they look like when, when Gossman's going to be on the mound and we can count on, on most of these games resulting in a win and what a relief that is. You know, it, it, you know, we had all these question marks about the back end of the rotation, but the lineup was proving us right. You know, we, and uh, yeah, and then... And then it just all fell apart and it was, it was really brutal. And I, you know, I think it hurt a lot just because it was the first game of the season and, you know, you, you come into the season and you're super excited. I think the only fan base, you know, I didn't look at every single game that got played on opening day, honestly, but, but I can only, you know, in my mind, I imagine that there's only one fan base, well, maybe two fan bases that are more disappointed than Giants fans right now. And that's probably the Mets and the Nationals uh, and probably the Mets, probably the Mets are the most uh, heartbroken uh, and frustrated fan base in baseball right now. But, but yeah, that's, it, it was, it was a rough loss. It was a tough loss. It was a tough one to take. And I, I think on the one hand, I think you're right. It, it was a fluke. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in that situation, the Giants should win that game 74 out of every 75 times. So I don't know about once in a lifetime, but how many times does that situation come up? Not very many times, and you're going to lose that game only 71 out of every 75 times. So I think you're talking about once every 10 years you're going to have a loss like that. And it happened. And it happened on Thursday, and it was opening day. And so, yay. <laughs> on the other hand, I, I think it was. it also in many ways felt like a microcosm of what this season could be. You know, and we talked about this during the preseason. We talked about all the question marks that this team has. And one of the biggest question marks was the reliability of the bullpen. I don't think we thought it was going to be those guys right. that that were going to to cause the, the angst and the grief and, and, and be problematic. So I think in that way, you're right. This was a fluke. We just have to look past it. It's not a big deal. It's not the end of the season. It, it doesn't mean anything really yet. Like you said, it might it might be the difference between a playoff spot or not. But, you know, you play 162 games and some of them are going to go this way. Not necessarily quite like that, but, you know, you do the best that you can. And there's really nothing to be done about it. They got to move on and, and they got to play. Um, they got to play better and forget about it. And I think especially those players the, the Whistler, I think, and um, Garcia. And then again, Alvarez in in the. What was it in the ninth or tenth? Tenth, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alvarez, I think, who honestly uh, was the worst of the bunch. (laughs) You know, three walks, and that was the end of the game. So, thank you very much. I think, I think, 
McGee, I think those are your top four relievers, though, almost yeah. in in the bullpen is McGee, Whistler. Uh, I mean, Reyes Maranta, you know, I think, you know, but again, he's we're not sure about where he is because of his injury. So I think everybody else, you know, yeah, McGee, Whistler, um, Garcia and Alvarez should be the best guys in your bullpen. And they all came in and except for McGee laid an egg and it was really hard to watch and to take. And so I think, you know, you take a deep breath and, and, and you get past it. You know, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think one of the questions was that, was there anything to be done about it? Could, could a Kapler have saved the bullpen from, from itself? Could, as, as the Giants bullpen was snatching a defeat from the jaws of victory, was there anything that Kapler could have done to stop them? Why, why didn't he, why didn't he do more, Matthew? Well, so the answer is no. I, and I've seen some of the fan reaction already jumping on Kapler for that opening day loss. And, and yeah, he doesn't throw the ball. You know, he's not the one that's uh, the, and, and as the manager, the reason he, that he had to sit and watch that fiasco unfold is because of the, you know, the relatively new major league rule that says, you know, reliever has to face at least three batters unless they're ending an inning. And yep. so you got to sit there. It's like, and just take it and and uh you can't do anything about it and so i think you know so to, to blame kapler for for a for you know those pitchers inability to throw strikes and then b for not taking them out it's just a misinformed because obviously you know he would have i think anybody could see that uh you know whistler wasn't wasn't didn't have it wasn't throwing strikes uh, same right. for garcia and yet you know you've got to sit there and go with the guy you put out there because they've got to sit they've got to face three batters so uh, that rule is, uh, you know, it's interesting because it was supposed to speed up play, I think was kind of one of the, you know, because they were tired of all the mound visits that, that right. kind of resulted from, you know, matchups of, you know, righties against lefties and all that. Uh, but I think I saw last year that that didn't, that the, since that rule has been enacted, the, the time of games has not dropped significantly. So it didn't really have an effect that they were hoping to. And yet it's having an effect on strategy and, and you know, abilities to to stop bleeding when, when you want. But that's part of the game now. And, and you know, you every team's going to have to face it, you know, probably at some point. That's why it's important to have guys that throw strikes, I guess, you know, it's, and, and we just didn't have that on opening day. So that's that's why, and I, I think you know, blaming Kapler is as much as we all like to jump on Kapler for his pitching management. Uh, this one wasn't deserved; not his fault. Uh, the guys just didn't perform. Yeah, I mean, I think what Kapler did there is he went to his setup guy and asked him to get through the eighth inning, and he couldn't get an out. And, and Kapler had to watch him do that. He faced three batters. And then he went to his next best reliever and said, okay, get us out of this jam. And that guy couldn't do it. You know, he walked two guys before getting an out. And that was the minimum number of batters that he faced. And then, and then Rogers came in and, you know, Rogers didn't look super sharp, uh, but, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was the guy that was on the mound when some bad things happened. And so I think that leaves a, you know, a bad taste in your mouth. And, you know, he was on, on the mound when the Brandons couldn't connect. And, and so at that point it was damage done. Right. So, 
so yeah, I, I don't think there was anything about this that was was Kapler's fault by any stretch. There was just nothing to be done about it. It, it yeah, like you said, the the relievers came in and they just didn't execute, and they had to face those three those three batters. I will say that yes, faster games is one of the goals of this. I think there is also just getting uh, getting pitchers to throw to batters and and playing the game of baseball. You know, I, I think they wanted to take the game a little bit away from the managers and give it back to the players. So I think that's what this is about. And one of the side effects of this is supposed to be more runs. And unfortunately for the Giants, that came to pass. So I don't think this three batter rule is, is just about speeding up the game. I, I think it's also about getting rid of this idea that you're going to mix and match every single at bat and you're going to force the guys to play baseball. And unfortunately, that means, yeah, a bad guy who doesn't have his stuff is going to have to hang out there and and pitch to three batters. And, you know, you, you, you take your lumps, and they certainly took a number of lumps, and, you know, it should have been a win. Without a doubt, should have been a win. But it's in the past, and, uh, you know, there, better things were to come. Oh, and, and I think, you know, they showed that the next day, uh, you know, Cueto... As I know, we had some questions about why he was starting game two, uh, particularly based off last year. I think a lot of it was, you know, he was he was our veteran. It was kind of an honor type thing, you know, kind of respect for the veteran to give him the the second start. It also set the bullpen up for, you know, I mean, it set up the rotation, I think, later, which we can talk about another time. But I think I was a little concerned about, OK, now we've lost and now we've got Cueto going for game two. But he uh, he pitched pretty well. And. And I think the things that we were talking about before with him was that, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's throwing a little bit more velocity. Uh, he's throwing uh, more off-speed pitches, though. So, you know, I think uh, he threw 105 pitches in, in game two, and uh, 61, per, 61 of those were sliders and change-ups. Uh, and what I thought I saw a stat that he, uh, he had 17 swinging strikes overall, which is his most since he had Tommy John in 2018. So in that respect, he's missing bats. Uh, he's keeping them in the game. Uh, he's throwing uh, lots of pitches, you know, which is what we need him to do. We need to eat up innings and, you know, and, and Kapler let him. And so, you know, we didn't see the, the, the go to the bullpen early, you know, only through, you know, if, if anybody proved last year that maybe deserved to only see a lineup twice, it was probably Cueto, right? And, uh, <laughs> and, and this time he got to go in through the third time in the lineup. And so, uh, and it was the right call. So I think, you know, that was a really, it was, you know, the team needed it. They needed that kind of performance from Cueto and he delivered. And then thank goodness the, the bullpen kind of, snap back into uh you know what we expect and, and pitched well so you know game two was definitely a better game but what i remember game two more than anything though is that after two games buster posey was on pace to hit 162 home runs you know and and the only reason he's still not on pace is because he didn't play on uh, uh in the third game because i think you know he's just He's tearing it up, and it's fun to see him swinging the way we remember him swinging with authority and, uh, you know, line drives that happen to be going out, but he's hitting the ball hard, and uh, that's fun to see. So game two was, huh, made me breathe a sigh of relief. I felt like, okay, the, the sky is not falling. The Giants can play, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll be all right. And so that, I, need, I needed game two, man. I needed it. So. 
Yeah, I agree. Game two was a relief. You know, especially they come out, they score six more runs. As you mentioned, Posey hitting the ball hard, hitting another home run. Longoria hitting his second home run. So seeing the two veterans definitely lead the way was was really um, was really exciting and fun to see. I think uh, I, Cueto was a big part of this. You know, I big part of the the game for me. Obviously, Wandy Peralta came in and you know, restored some faith <laughs> back into the bullpen with his performance, which was really strong, ended up getting the win, uh, striking out two and in, in one and a third. Rogers came back and had a, uh, a relatively clean inning. He didn't give up a walk, but otherwise got out, got through without any major problems. McGee had a second strong outing and for the save. I think I think one of the, the most interesting things about this game, and I think you already alluded to it, was what, what didn't happen in this game, you know, with Kapler, Kapler letting Cueto go into, you know, throw 105 pitches, going into the third third trip through the, the lineup of the Mariners and letting him, you know, especially after he had, you know, he ran into some trouble early in the game and the, and the Giants were, were down, you know, one to nothing and then, and then three to one. And letting him stay in there, letting him keep the Giants in the game, relying on the offense to 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 pick him up, and I thought that was uh, that was really really telling. You know, I, I think one of the concerns that I had, especially for Kapler, was just how he really didn't seem to have a lot of faith in his starting pitching last year, and he went to the bullpen a lot, and I think that really did hurt them in, in, at the end of the season particularly in some of the uh, the people that came in who had proven that they, they weren't doing well and we just kept going to them. And so I, I think letting the starters start and and letting them perform was was nice to see. I, I also think I do think it was interesting that who we didn't see in that game was Alvarez, Garcia or Whistler. And I, I feel like in the Bruce Bochy era, those guys, at least one or two of those guys, would have made an appearance in the very next game. And that didn't happen with Kapler. And I don't know if that means anything or not. I don't know if he just wanted to get Peralta out there because Peralta hadn't pitched yet or or what. But I do know that we did, you know, or if it was just the matchups and they just, that was how they, they, they liked the matchups. But to me, it was interesting that we didn't see either of those guys until until game three so uh, so that was interesting for me yeah no i think uh i think you're right i think bochi would have put them back out there to you know let them let them you know kind of fight themselves through their slump and you know let them let them have another shot at it but uh you know kapler definitely handled things differently and you're right I don't, who knows if that was by design or not but uh, it was interesting that they didn't they didn't you know come back out for game yeah. two I think I'm probably making too much of that. Probably they probably had a plan as to who they wanted to get into the games by game two, right? You want to make sure that everybody gets in at bat, I, I think, or, or you know touches the ball by by the end of the day of game two. And I think that's true for the Giants, except for um, uh, Casilli, mm -hmm. but but he did end up playing in, in game three. So. So yeah, so we, we had two, I think, overall really positive games at that point, right? I mean, we had the bullpen meltdown. I think a 
I, I think most fans probably could have just brushed that off and said, okay, that was just a, a fluke and, and it's probably no big deal. So you could probably feel pretty good about both of those games and, and how the Giants looked, if not really getting the results that you wanted. But it does put us into a, a rubber match situation on Saturday and we had our... Logan Webb coming in, who had a great spring. Everybody was excited about him, probably no more so than I was about Logan Webb. I think I might have guessed that he was going to win 13 games this year. Is that I, what I said? I, that's what you said. I know that you're, you're now starting to claim that was the uh, the drink talking. But uh, If I remember correctly, I claimed that then. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't that far gone. If I remember correctly, I blamed the French 75 as I was saying it. And I knew that this Ben, who is just drinking a nice and light Fitzgerald, is, is definitely regretting that bet. Because, I mean, first of all, 13 wins is a lot. <laughs> I, and I, uh, but hey, I said it. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, and and he pitched well. He pitched well on Saturday. He really did. He had a quality start. It wasn't as dominant as he had been during spring training. I don't know if that was just a matter of nerves or he was just, you know, he was facing a full-blown major league lineup that was playing a real game uh, at home in front of fans for the first time in a long time or what. But he didn't look quite as sharp as he had uh, during the spring training. But he still pitched good enough to win. Unfortunately, that vaunted lineup of the Giants didn't show up, and um, I don't know. I mean, do you have any thoughts on what went, what was going on there? Well, you know, it was their first uh, time facing a a right-hander, and so you know now we're like, okay, we got a little glimpse now of what uh, what the lineup could look like when they're facing righties, and you know, you face righties more often than you face lefties. And so we rely, we're relying on, on our lefties to, to play well, uh, and they haven't. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Ostremski has started off really poor. Uh, you know, he's only got one hit, I think, in his first uh, three games. Yeah, uh, you, said, you said that he could win the MVP, isn't that right? I, I asked you if he could win the MVP, I think is what I... Oh, that's right. That's and and, uh, and you know he was he voted eighth in the MVP race last last year so he's <laughs> he a good player still, he could still, still win the MVP he, he could still do it but uh, I'm a believer. but you know the other the other players that I was like you know kind of looking forward to seeing you know more of that didn't you know Austin Slater struggled I, you know he struck out three times in that game uh, you know so those are you know Brandon Belt uh, you know struggling still um, he's still drawing walks and getting on base a little bit but not in that game I mean he had three strikeouts as well in uh that game so uh you know those those guys are gonna have to hit better against right-handers if we're gonna have a chance and they certainly didn't show it on on saturday yeah the left-handers were really struggling in that game and and the whole series really as you as you know they faced two lefties to start the season so i don't know maybe that that had something to do with it i know that brandon belt you know was coming off a very, very difficult um, off season, And there was a lot of questions as to whether or not he was going to be ready to start the season anyway. So I think there's could definitely still be some, some issues there, but yeah, he was over three with three strikeouts and that was not great. And he ended up getting replaced by rough uh, to finish the game. So I, I think that is a statement in and of itself 
you know, Longoria cooled off considerably in that game, facing a right-hander. We did see Tommy Lastella in his first um, start. Uh, he was playing DH, which was really interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. And, uh, you know, they they kept the Solano at second. So I, I think that's a statement about what they think about Solano. Although Solano is on fire. Yeah, right? you, you can't take him out of the lineup right you now. You can't right? take him out of the lineup and maybe you don't want to take him off the field too because you just don't want to change anything there. And so, I mean, uh, Donnie Barrels is still barreling the ball. Uh, right into 2021 so you know he has he was a bright spot the whole series and you know is hitting 500 at this point of the season was two for four in that game uh, so I think that probably explains why Listella was the DH uh, he only went one for two uh, so he only got I mean by only I mean he only got three at bats but he was one for two with a walk so not a bad way to start the season for him but other than that, the rest of the lineup was really quite anemic. I mean, Yastrzemski did finally get his first hit of the game, but that was a pinball. I don't know. It was it was like a kid threw it out there, and then it bounced off somebody's glove, and then bounced off somebody else's glove, and then came to a dead stop about three feet into the outfield. So it wasn't exactly a... a uh, you know, ground-shaking hit, but hey, it was a hit, so at least it gets him a batting average, and he doesn't have to look at the fact that he's 0 for whatever. He didn't have to go 0 for Seattle, and so that's a good thing. But I think when that's the positive that you're taking away, that's not great. So, so yeah, the lineup really just didn't show up, and it they just showed up as not being able to hit right-handed pitching very well, and let's hope that's a fluke, because that's not a great sign if that turns out to be the norm. And I think, unfortunately, it did waste, while not a stellar output by Webb, it um, it uh, it was a good output. And it was good enough to win, and unfortunately, ends up taking the loss. I will say this, uh, Whistler did come back. He pitched two-thirds of an inning to finish the inning, the, the sixth. And he struck out both batters he faced. <laughs> so yeah, on 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 ten tidy pitches. So you know, I, I think I hope there was a little bit of anger behind those pitches. Alvarez was also clean in his inning, striking out one uh, in ten tidy pit in this you know striking out one and getting out three in ten pitches. So absolutely, they were. Uh, much, much better those two were. And and making his first appearance of the season was, was Reyes Maranta. He did not start well, unfortunately, uh, giving up a, a leadoff home run on the first batter that he faced. Uh, but overall, I think he still looked pretty good. He was, uh, he was, you know, he was a little bit up in the strike zone, I thought. And, you know, again, the velocity is still not there, but it, it at least wasn't a disaster. So I'm still very hopeful on him being able to come back. So I think even though the offense was a little bit of a question mark uh, in this game, it did look like the bullpen came back and made a statement and said that, that you know, that Thursday was a fluke. And honestly, if Thursday goes differently, we're coming out of this series feeling much better about it, right? We're probably just going to call this game a fluke and say this, you know, this lineup's going to hit, you know, we're just waiting for a couple of guys to get hot and then, you know, and then we won't have to worry about this again. Yep. So, you know, I think overall, I think the series was not 
a doom and gloom scenario, it's a bummer for sure to come out of here not winning the series, but I don't think this was a disaster. No, it wasn't a disaster. I, I think, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Mr. Whistler with his two thirds of an inning lowered his ERA from infinity to 40.5. So, you know, he's got to be feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I got to feel good about that 40.5 ERA for sure. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, am sure that, uh, yeah, he, he will, he will pitch well. I, you know, he's, but, uh, man, I'm still a little bitter about it, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I think you're right. We, you know, uh, without that eighth inning in the first game, I think we're looking pretty, we're feeling pretty good leaving, leaving Seattle. So, uh, it would have been nice to get that win only because, you know, we're facing, you know, the Padres next and, and it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the Padres, uh, stack up against uh, the Giants and you know we're um, you know they they made all those moves in the offseason and they are the they, you know they certainly won the offseason I think as far as you know the teams making moves They're, they've bolstered their starting rotation they've got they're really deep in their rotation obviously they hit a ton so it's it's a they're a tough team now and uh, we we can't afford to, to get swept, I think, by by the Padres going in. And I, and I don't think they will. I think that they'll play them well. But I think, uh, you know, the possibility is there. And if that if that happens, um, the only saving grace is that we have Colorado right afterwards, right? That is true. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think if the Giants fin- finish this week three and three, however it happens, I, I think they're still in a, in, in a perfectly good place. You know, obviously we want them to, to go 6-0, and but but if that doesn't happen, I think if they come out of the next six games going 3-3, three and three, then, then we don't have anything to worry about. They're right. They're going to be right where we would want them to be, you know, given what happened in Seattle. You know, ideally they, 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 they beat up on the Rockies and they steal the series from the Padres and they go, you know, 4-2 and two or 5-1. and one. And that is possible, but highly unlikely. So I agree with that. The one thing that I would say uh, about the Padres series is they are facing, you know, the Padres number five starter. And then they're going after Darvish. Darvish did not look good in his first outing against the Diamondbacks. So maybe there is some hope that they could get to him as well. So, you know, again, it, we... We've got DiSclefani and Sanchez going in those two games, though. So that is, you know, those two guys are big question marks. We talked a lot about that during the spring. So that's really, we're going to learn a lot, I think, from those two games to see exactly what those guys look like, especially against the, you know, the class of uh, the National League West. And so I'm really interested to see how those games go, because while I would normally expect the Padres to, to take this series, you know, I think it is in some ways possibly winnable. Uh, game three looks like a great matchup with Gossman and Snell. Mm. I, you know, I'm excited about that one just because it's great baseball. It's it's a, it's a day game. It's going to be, uh, you know, Sunday. Sorry, Wednesday afternoon in San Diego. How I would love to be at that game. Uh, I won't be, <laughs> but but I would love to be there in that environment because what a great matchup that's going to be. So, but that's obviously winnable, right? It's obviously Snell is very, very tough. So it's obviously one that is going to be a, a tough, you know, a tough um, matchup. But but we got Gossman going and I would just, it's definitely winnable. 
they um they beat up on the Diamondbacks pretty pretty badly though uh this four game series they played a four game series against the Diamondbacks so they started on Thursday and they played all the way through today and uh they roughed up Mad Bum on on opening day uh and then really didn't stop until today they looked pretty pretty quiet today Tatis hit a home run I think at the end of the game to to get them off you know, to get them a run, the very least. They were pretty quiet today, but they they otherwise beat up on the Diamondbacks pretty much as expected. Hosmer is super hot right now, and uh, he's definitely leading the way. Uh, he has had quite the series. So um, it's basically, you just can't get him out right now. And uh, and then their second baseman, the guy, he was a rookie last year for them. Uh, what is his name? Cronenworth, right? Is that Cronenworth? Yeah, Cronenworth. He was a he's a rookie for them last year. He's he's got off to a hot start. So you know, a couple of guys that aren't doing well is Tatis. He did hit a home run today, but otherwise has been pretty quiet. Machado has been uh, not is not great uh, so far. Not not bad. He's he's he has hit a home run, but but he's not done much more than that. So, you know, they're still finding their feet underneath them, but they did prove that they're a lot, lot better than the Diamondbacks. So it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough, tough matchup. And obviously the starting pitching for the, for the Padres is very good, but they're not going to see um, their, their number three guy. So hopefully that, um, that, that helps. So, so we'll see how that goes. The Rockies... I mean, the Rockies are just the Rockies. The The good news is uh, after the Giants get through the Padres, they get to play the Rockies six more times and uh, the first three at home. So I expect the Giants to win that series for sure. And well, they, like they, I said, yeah. I mean, they have to, right? I mean, they have to win. I mean, anytime they play the Rockies, they have to win those series. That's their gimmies. And uh, uh, I mean, we got the Dodgers and the Padres in your division. Uh, you have to play well against the Rockies and, and the Diamondbacks. We have to be better than both of those teams head to head. And uh, so and so we'll find out. Right. And I, I like that we're opening at home. We're not in Colorado. Uh, so if Colorado is, you know, they put up eight runs in Colorado. You know, what does that translate to at Oracle? Right. You know, three runs, four runs. You know, so I think uh, we definitely have. Uh, a lot time. of those home runs were to right field, so I think it probably would have been zero. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. A lot of those home runs were to right field. They, they so you know, they they would not have gone out at Oracle even in the new configuration, you know, because you just can't change that wall. So uh, I mean, I guess you could put some sort of netting in or something like that, but but beyond that, yeah, uh, yes. And in general, I mean, you know, the Giants obviously Oracle has a huge outfield, but it's nothing compared to to Coors Field. So, you know, it's, and the Giants played really well uh, at at Oracle last year. They scored a lot of runs there last year uh, for the first time in a long time. So I think that uh, it's definitely a home field advantage for them again, and especially (laughs) compared to Coors Field. And that's the one thing about the Rockies being the worst team in baseball is that's good for the Giants, right? I mean, it's not great because the Padres and Dodgers and Diamondbacks get to play them too. But the Giants just don't play well in Colorado. Honestly, though, does anybody like playing in Colorado against the Rockies? I mean, even if you know they're not a great team, doesn't everybody just feel like weird things happen there? And you you can never trust, you know, 
you never can never trust a lead. Right. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, pitchers hate it, right? I mean, that's... yeah. I mean, the Dodgers were annihilating the Rockies in that game, and then suddenly it was like it didn't matter. It, it just it's such a weird place, such a weird place, and and you can never trust what's going on there. So I'm definitely glad we're opening in San Francisco and not not there. But uh, but either way, the Giants are better than the Rockies. They should win most of the games against them, no matter where they're playing. So. So, so yeah, so hopefully, you know, like I said, I think if they finish this season, this week, six, sorry, three and three, they come out, you know, at that point, then four and five, you know, they're okay. It's, it's okay. It's, you know, this is not a disaster. There's nothing, you know, they've got a lot of uh, games against uh, teams they should beat for the rest of the month. And, uh, you know, maybe we need them to win more game, one more game against the Padres than, than they would have otherwise, but. You know, even if they don't, this is not a disaster. Right. And, you know, and I think as far as looking forward to things this week, I, we can, we can beat San Diego. I think if we're playing well, if our, if we're hitting and our starters can go long, I think we have a good chance. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to seeing how Disclafani and Sanchez, you know, two newcomers who we haven't really seen much, uh, see how they do and, and uh, see if they can be that next, you know, those next starters that are looking to resurrect their career with the Giants, uh, take that first step because, uh, you know, they certainly have the potential and the history of, of, of success. So uh, it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun to see how that all shakes out. And then uh, opening day, our you know, home opener uh, is always exciting and fun to see. And, uh, you know, there's only, what, 9,000 fans allowed, and they all have to have uh, either a negative test or the vaccine. Uh, so that's going to be interesting, right, as far as the, the, the procedures to get into the ballpark. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the Giants kind of treat those home games. Uh and, and how much of a home field advantage that has. I mean, you know, 8,000, 9,000 is a far cry from, you know, 30 to 40. So, uh, you know, I think that it'll be fun to see how all that shakes out. Uh, looking forward to the home opener for sure. Well, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because San Diego had not a ton of fans at, at Petco uh, for their games. And it was really interesting because there was a, a moment where Mateo, the, the left fielder, for the Padres and Tatis uh, tangled up and and had a pretty nasty fall. Uh, Mateo ended up catching uh, Tatis and, and they tumbled to the ground kind of in a in a half graceful embrace, but they were both pretty shaken up by it. And it was really interesting to me because it immediately jumped out at me as like that's not something we saw last year. You just did not see a situation where the players couldn't communicate with each other. And if there was a miscommunication, it was because somebody didn't say something. And it wasn't, it wasn't super clear that what had happened, but my assumption is that, that they just, that, that Tatis didn't hear Mateo calling him off. And, and therefore, that's why they got tangled up. Uh, so, so they, yeah, the fans are back and, uh, and even at diminished numbers, they are making a, a difference. And, uh, so, you know, I, that's just an example of the making a negative difference, but, you know, I think the point is hopefully at home, they'll be, it'll be energizing and the giants will be excited. And I know it's only 8,000 fans, but I think it's going to be 8,000 dedicated fans and it's going to be fans nonetheless. So. Uh, I, I think it'll make a difference. And uh, I, I'm sure the players are looking forward to it. I know I would be. 
Yeah. Um, well, yeah. after a whole year. Uh, yeah. Somebody mentioned the uh, Caleb Berger, you know, uh, has never played in front of a major league crowd. Uh, oh, Berger. You know. So, yeah. uh, you know, guys wow. that made their debuts last year. This is a whole new new thing for them. So that's kind of an interesting. That you know, is interesting. See, see how some of those players will react, uh, you know, now that they're playing in front of fans. So. Uh, yeah, that is interesting. And in such a small enough groups where you can actually hear what all of them are saying to you. <laughs> so that should be super interesting. Well, I, I think we're getting to the end here. Uh, you know, run out of a time. Uh, you know, I didn't even get a chance to, to to ask you. Could you know Buster Posey win his second Comeback Player of the Year award? Because you know, I feel like you know that's probably unprecedented. I haven't looked it up, but how many guys suck it or you know come back from injuries or whatever twice to win that award? I don't know. I don't. That's a really good question. We we should probably try to figure that out. But in my mind, he's already won it. Yeah, he's yeah. won the MVP. He's won the Comeback Player of the Year award, and he's been inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, all based on these last two games. Um, yes, I'm sold. Definitely. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, with that, I think we're uh, running out of time. But uh, before we go, we should tell people where they can find us. Uh, where can they find you, Ben? They can find me on Twitter and on Instagram now uh, at WatchBenFail. I have done, I think, one post at both locations. So I'm just getting these accounts started. So come find me. Come say hello. Uh, you can also find uh, us on Twitter and Instagram at Giant Cocktails. So for both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter at Sonoma Y Guy. So uh, I hope to you know hear from you. And uh, with that... Ben, I, uh, I'll see you next week. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Bye, everybody.